Thank you guys so much. I wonder though, as you listen to those lyrics, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever had things in your life you wanted to overcome and you just seem to be unable to do so? Unable to break the habit, unable to say no. I know I have. And what's really, I think, both beautiful and remarkable, some of the things I used to struggle with in the past no longer bother me at all, but there's new things that God has me working on. And I know the same is true for you, that God is inviting each of us to become more the person he's created us to be. But there are temptations, there are obstacles, there are challenges, there are generational issues and struggles that we inherit that we can actually move past. And whether you're here and you've walked with God for a long time or you're still not even sure about God, I want you to know you're invited into this journey, the journey to become who God's created you to be. In this series, we're calling it Future Ready. It's about learning to make decisions today, to seize the moment today so that we can be more prepared for the future that God has for each of us. And when it comes to this conversation around our behavior, sometimes we can actually go against what we say we believe and want to be true in our lives. And we have to be willing to acknowledge that the decisions we make are never just neutral. Our decisions are always moving us in some direction. And sometimes the temptation can be to blame our circumstances around the decisions that we're making that are taking us in the direction we don't want to go. We say things like, people will never accept me for who I am, so I have to perform. Or I never get enough time to do what I want to do, so I have to focus on me. Or they just don't get it. They'll never change. So we can become trapped by our circumstances if we're not careful. And we might see others as the cause of our own decisions. We can rationalize our decisions. But here's the tough reality. Nothing changes around you unless something changes in you. And that's what we're talking about today. I want you to think about, think about it this way. I've got two boats. Got this boat here, and it was created and designed to sail. And it's able to do its job. Now, obviously, this is a small container, so it's not going very far. But compared to this one, which, by the way, I had no choice in the color of this boat. If it looks UT orange to you, I promise it was not me. It probably should be green and gold. That's my school's colors, and we just got destroyed. But notice this one has holes in it. It has cracks. And so it was designed to do the exact same thing, but because of these cracks, because of these holes, it doesn't go anywhere. It goes straight to the bottom. See, there are times in our life, there are things in our life that are like these holes, these cracks. And I actually have friends of mine with big aspirations. We all went into ministry together, and yet from the very beginning, you could see cracks in their character. And it wasn't actually in the midst of the struggle that they fell apart. It was in the midst of their success. 
that the more responsibilities they had, the more those cracks turned into crevasses, turned into these holes, and their lives sunk. There are things that we can do to protect ourselves, that we can put into place that enables us not only to stay afloat and not sink, but to actually set sail, to actually move forward. Same type of boat, same conditions, same original intent, same goal to thrive in the water, and yet the one with cracks sinks. The one that's solid stays afloat. I want to read a passage from Romans 6, because Paul describes this struggle in the human spirit in this way. Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Shall we just keep living the same way? I mean, God is all loving. He says, by no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. See, God is offering each and every one of us a new start that he wants to do the work inside of us that we might see the transformation outside of us. See, nothing changes around you unless something first changes in you. And we really have two choices. We take the steps to acknowledge and grow in the areas that God is inviting us to today, or we don't. I mean, those are the choices. At the end of the day, should we choose the latter? Should we choose not to respond to God's invitation to make progress, to grow, to trust him, to to go in his way rather than our own way? We can't look back and then blame God when our boat starts sinking. And yet, how often do we do that? In our men's group I'm a part of on Wednesday morning, we were talking about the story of the people of Israel, and it came up, this idea of the Pharaoh. And I just kind of mentioned something in passing, and one of the guys in our group was like, oh my gosh, that is a passage that has bothered me for years. You see, it says in that passage that Pharaoh hardened his heart. Pharaoh hardened his heart. The leader of the people of Egypt hardened his heart. Over and over and over, it says that Pharaoh hardened his heart every time he had an opportunity to go the way of God. And then eventually it says that God hardened his heart. See, we, we tend to skip all of the times when Pharaoh is making the decision, and we get hung up on this idea that, that we might somehow not have the choice to make. But in reality, what this is telling us is that we have the choice. But if we keep saying no enough times, eventually God gives us what we want. We have the opportunity right now to to go in the path that God's inviting us to. But if we say no enough, eventually God allows us to go our own way. We have no idea the number of times that God has protected us from the consequences that we deserve. 
His grace is real. His unconditional love for you is real. And his invitation is to trust him. See, God is with us throughout all of our circumstances. And we have the choice. We can ignore the cracks in our character, the holes in our hearts. But if we do, that's when our lives seem to start to unravel. Not necessarily because we couldn't handle the circumstances, but because we haven't done the work that God's inviting us to do, to prepare for those circumstances. And the choice is ours. It reminds me of a story that Jesus told to illustrate the same idea. It's one of his most famous talks ever. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In fact, when I was new to faith and young, I was memorizing this. I memorized the entire sermon. And we like to talk about the Sermon on the Mount as similar to what we do on Sunday mornings. This is a place where you can come as a follower of Jesus and also someone who's a skeptic, unsure, to hear the message of Jesus so that you can decide, do you wanna step closer to God or do you wanna go your own way? And so in this, he is speaking about this new kingdom, and it's a completely upside-down way of living. It's very different than the way we normally live. It was just as groundbreaking then as it is now. By the way, we're about to do a whole series through the Sermon on the Mount, so I know we'll get to dive in this a little bit deeper. But the Sermon on the Mount to me is so fascinating because it was the Sermon on the Mount that Gandhi applied in his social setting in India that created civil disobedience that led to the freedom of his people. And Dr. King, Martin Luther King, learned from Gandhi, who will learn from Jesus, this idea of turning the other cheek and loving your enemies, which led to progress for his people in the United States. If we were to apply these words to our life, it would revolutionize our experience in life. And in this sermon, he talks about who's invited into this kingdom. Spoiler alert, everyone, even the people you don't like, are invited into this new kingdom. And Jesus talks about how we're to treat each other, how we're to interact with the world around us. And people were blown away by what Jesus was saying. No one spoke with such authority and in such a countercultural way. And then check out how he kind of lands the message. Matthew 7 says this, the very end of his Sermon on the Mount, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, Jesus presents two choices, two deals, like our two boats, there are two options. When it comes to the choice that we get to make, Jesus is presenting an important premise. Notice in verse 24, it says, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... See, that's the choice. Not whether or not we hear, 
but whether or not we implement the teachings of Jesus in our lives. It's that person that Jesus says who is setting themselves apart for his kingdom. By the way, if you're here and you're not yet following Jesus, I want you to know that this message, I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. This message is a message against hypocrisy in the church. See, there's a lot of us as believers who say we believe the right things, but we don't actually live the way Jesus is inviting us to live. And so we come across as judgmental and political and angry. That's not what Jesus intended. If you're here and you're not yet following Jesus, I want you to know you're invited into this radical way to live. If you are a follower of Jesus, this is a reminder of of what you said yes to. When you and I were baptized, we were symbolically dying to our old life and raised to walk a new life. Yesterday, we had a memorial service for Krista, one of our greeters who passed away unexpectedly, age of 52, far too young. And we had her little lanyard, her little sign that she wore on her chest that tells the world, you are welcome here. And she was one of the ones that was always giving high fives to the kids and always wanted to give hugs to every one of us. And it was such a sweet reminder as Amber reminded me, she was baptized here June of 2018. She heard the story of Jesus and knew that that forgiveness was being offered to her. Her family told me that there were many Sundays where they invited her to come have lunch with them and she would say, nope, I'm at church. And I thank them for letting us borrow her on those Sundays because she was one of those people who was giving hugs to some folks who that was the only hug they got all week. So when you and I say yes to following Jesus, we're actually invited into experiencing a new way of living. Jesus is describing what it means to live holy. Now that word can start to take on different meanings. If you were raised in or around church, maybe you've heard the word holiness and associated with not doing the things you see happening in the world around you. The unfortunate thing about that is it could become some sort of sin management. It's more about what not to do. And in doing that, if you have that kind of mindset, then you try to figure out, well, how far is too far? What can I, what can I do and not get into trouble? That's not the point. It's an invitation to live a whole different way of life, a life that's free from the struggles that currently entangle you. Now, on the other extreme, maybe you've heard people use the phrase holier than thou. As a new believer, my parents introduced me to that phrase because apparently I was that. (laughs) I mean, I was a teenager. I was 17 years old. And so teenagers already know everything. And when you add to it a, a level of spiritual superiority, it gets bad. There were times when my mom would ask me, did you spend time with Jesus today? Because it does not feel like it. <laughs> See, when we struggle being holier than now, we might have some of the same issues, but we are blinded to them. Or we might think, you know what? I don't do these things, but we're unaware that judging and gossiping and slandering and having anger in our hearts is also sin separating us from God, keeping us 
from living the life that he's called us to live. See, to live holy is to live set apart. That's what it really means. Set apart for the work and purpose of God in this world. Set apart from the destructive choices that we used to make. Anything that isn't advancing the work and purpose, we're set apart from that. Jesus presents us with an idea of how to live holy, how to live set apart, how to live differently. Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, put it this way in describing how followers of Jesus ought to live based on their identity in Christ. It says this, 1 Peter 2, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, we're not chosen because we are better than others. We are actually chosen to tell the world that they are also chosen, that they too can have a connection with God to be part of his family. Is that how you see yourself? As part of God's family, as a royal priesthood, a holy nation set apart for a significant purpose? See, unfortunately, we don't see ourselves the way God sees us. He sees far more in you than you see in yourself. He is inviting you into something so much bigger than what you could ever imagine, that you can have a a spiritual, significant impact in the lives of other people when you follow after him. When we choose to live our lives set apart different from how we used to live. In alignment with Jesus, Jesus says that you are like the wise man who built his house on a rock. And not if the storms come, but when the storms come. See, some of us grew up in an environment where we believe that if we had all the right ideas about God, then we won't have any bad things happen to us. The problem with that is that's not true. There will be challenges in life. It's called life. We live in a broken world. Every one of us will face challenging moments in our life. It's not a matter of if, but when. But the beauty is God is with us through the storms. We can hold on to him and to his church family through the storms. And if we are choosing to go his way, finding healing for the cracks in our character, the holes in our heart, we will be able to withstand whatever storm we might face. But again, it's a choice, and there is an alternative. Look back at verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is describing the deliberate choice to hear what he says which leads to a better life and choose the opposite. Remember, our decisions in life are never just neutral. There's no third scenario here where a house is built sort of on the rock or on enough of the rock or on the rock of Sunday mornings. See, it's about building your life on who Jesus is inviting you to become. And here's the thing about making progress. It's not about perfection. It's about progress. There are things right now that you're struggling with that you can be free from if you'll just trust him 
If you'll just lean into community, lean into your faith. And eventually, what you're struggling with now will become a distant memory. In fact, you will be in a position to help others in the ways that you're struggling now. It it might seem impossible. It might seem unlikely, but that's the invitation. And I've seen it happen over and over, not just in my life, but in the lives of the amazing people sitting around you. See, nothing changes around you unless something first changes in you. And you might be thinking, that's great, Eric, but why doesn't God just keep the storm away? It's a reasonable question. And in my experience, a really easy one to ask when you find yourself sinking in the middle of the storm. Not much, much makes sense when this is happening. You might be thinking, well, who cares what my house is built on? Jesus, just stop the storm. See, this tension can exist, and it might even be what keeps you from trusting God. But I'm telling you, it's hard to explain if you haven't experienced it. But when you have God to lean on in the midst of the storm, those verses about him being closer than a brother start to become real. Knowing you're never alone when you wake up in the middle of the night in a panic, anxious, maybe even having a panic attack. Knowing that you can reach out to God and he is there. You're never alone. He's always there. But he doesn't force his way into our lives, into our minds, into our hearts. His invitation is to let him lead. The storms can hurt. But Jesus never actually said he would take the storms away. In fact, in his final moments, before he was crucified and killed, talk about a storm. Listen to how Jesus prayed for us as his future followers. John 17, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them. That means set them apart. Sanctify them by the truth, and your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Sanctified, it means set apart, to live holy. God is inviting us into something different, a new way to live. Let me just quickly walk you through the new ways that he invites us to live. See, living set apart, living holy is not something we do in our own power. Remember, back to John 14, when Jesus alludes to praying to the Father, that he's going to send his spirit to be with us. So I'm gonna propose that we need to get really clear on the type of decisions we make that either lead to a strong foundation or a weak one. The first area of our lives is to look at is our relationship with self. See, we live in a culture that's obsessed with self. The self-help industry is worth billions of dollars. Our careers are often defined by our ability to position ourselves for the promotion or the raise or for upward mobility. And our culture would tell you, once you define your true self, pursue that with all costs. Embrace it, celebrate it. And that is one option, but what does Jesus teach? Paul, in his letter to the Romans, immediately following what we looked at earlier, writes this. 
in Romans 6. For if we've been united with Jesus in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. See, the invitation from Jesus is to die to self, to die to our old patterns of living that were born out of preferences or desires that don't align with what God would want for our lives. And if that's the case, a good question to be asking ourselves is this, where am I choosing self rather than dying to it? Not rather than dying to do it, (laughs) but dying to self. Where am I choosing to live for me and where am I choosing to live for Jesus? See, both lead to opposite foundations. And it's incredibly tricky because when you actually die to self, you actually become a better coworker, better spouse, better parent, better friend. It actually might lead you to having harder conversations and setting boundaries. It might lead to sacrifice. But here's the beautiful thing. Without the crucifixion, there is no resurrection. Unless you're willing to die to self, to surrender every aspect of your life, you can't fully live in the way that God has for you and me. There's another important thing to understand, and that's our relationship with sin. That's a fun one to talk about, isn't it? Maybe you grew up and that's all they talked about at the church you went to. And obviously sin is a major issue throughout scripture because it is our sin that separates us from God. But the word simply means missing the mark when it comes to what God would say is right and best in our lives. God says one thing and yet too often we choose another. That by definition is sin. But we also have a cultural version of sin. And it's the exact opposite of sin according to God. If sin according to God separates us from his version of life for us, sin according to the world separates us from the world's version of life for us. If biblical sin involves a rejection of God, worldly sin involves a rejection of commitment, responsibility, authority, and unhappiness. It's what leads to things like quiet quitting. It's running from authority. It's believing that if it makes me happy, then that should be my guide. When on the other side of sacrifice and trusting God is actually the better way to live. When it comes to my journey of faith, where do I find myself running from things like commitment or responsibility or authority or unhappiness? Last one is our relationship with freedom. We live in a free country for which we should always be grateful. But sometimes our culture promotes freedom to the nth degree as if we alone and the decisions we make don't affect those around us. See, Jesus does not force us to follow him. He invites us to do so. And earlier in the passage from the Sermon on the Mount that we looked at, Jesus says this, Matthew 7, enter through the narrow gate, For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, sometimes the focus gets put on this verse on the part that says few find it. But I don't think that's actually Jesus' point here. This is not a message about exclusivity. 
See, narrow roads aren't necessarily hard to find or follow. It's just that they're very specific. If you've ever been hiking, you know this. It means that if you get off this narrow road, it actually could lead to poison ivy, ticks, wild dogs. I don't know if you go to the green belt, it just depends, right? But narrow trails can be just as easy to hike as wide ones. In fact, you might have what is perceived as less freedom, but you might have an even more enjoyable experience. So it's important to ask yourself, where am I tempted to take my freedom into my own hands? See, questions like this matter. And just as we always do, I want to encourage you to dive a little bit deeper. Go to gatewaychurch.com slash digging deeper. Discuss it with your roommates, with your family, with your life group. But to give us a real living example, I want you to hear from one of my friends, Steve Granger. Steve is going to share a little bit of his story of feeling stuck and then discovering the freedom that God brings. Give him a hand as he comes. Check. Is this on? All right. It's good to check the mic. Uh, thanks, Pastor Eric. Uh, good morning, Gateway. If we haven't met, my name is Steve. I've been coming here since 2017. I'd like to share a little bit about my recovery journey, but to honor your time and to keep from going down rabbit trails, I'm just going to read my notes that I have here. So my name is Steve Granger, and I'm a believer who celebrates recovery from 40 years of clinical depression, low self-esteem from childhood trauma, and I'm currently working on anxiety and chronic worry. The insanity of my life before recovery was like a roller coaster with a few highs and a lot of lows. Actually, it reads like a bad episode of Jerry Springer, but with a happy ending. As a child, I suffered a physical abuse from my father, who was a licensed Baptist preacher. One day, I actually thought he was going to kill me. I had rep repressed the thought until many years later. That day, he grabbed me by the head and punched me. I hit the wall and slid down, and things went dark. That was the first time. It wasn't the last. I was bullied in school. I struggled with alcoholism from my teens until my mid-30s. I was almost killed twice. I went through a difficult divorce and moved to Austin as a single parent. But a beautiful highlight in this was meeting and marrying my wife, Lisa, who works the coffee booth outside. And, uh, yeah, she lights up the room, doesn't she? <laughs> Together we had a blended family until on my birthday after 12 and a half years I lost custody of my kids in court. It was a very difficult time for me. In my life, I have lost four children, one to an unwanted abortion, two to miscarriage, and one to cancer. My relationship with God was not distant, but not like a father-son relationship. It was not very intimate. I grew up in a very strict Christian home where we were taught the Bible and about salvation, but nothing about his love and grace for us. I thought of God as the cosmic judge in the sky who was waiting for me to mess up so he could punish me. If he was like my father, I wanted nothing to do with him. Even still, I tried to stay connected with, to, to God through church and men's events, which led me into counseling. I rediscovered a genuine faith after reading the Ragamuffin Gospel as recommended by my counselor, Jimmy Myers, of the Timothy Center. That book changed my life. That was when I fully got it. God really does love me. And if he has a wallet, my picture is in it, then I'm his boy. 
Counseling led me to joining Celebrate Recovery where I found tools I needed for healing in my life. Now Lisa and I see God winks all the time. These are little miracles showing me he loves me. We see them because we're intentionally looking for them. I have learned that living in, re in regret is like hoping for a better yesterday. Yesterday is gone and we don't yet have tomorrow. We have today, this moment in time. The American Heritage Dictionary says carpe diem is enjoying the present day, take advantage of, or the most of, the present. If you have hurts, hang-ups, or habits, and most of us do, I absolutely recommend working the 12 steps. At Gateway South, we call it restore. For me, recovery has not only brought me healing, but helped me experience the spiritual intimacy with God I have always wanted and needed. My growing relationship with Jesus Christ has influenced my recovery because I now know who I am in Christ and has given me a more positive self-image. No matter what anyone says or does, I know that he loves me and nobody can take that from me. And Jesus Christ is not embarrassed by me or ashamed of me. And so the way my life was before recovery, I hit this point to where my status quo wasn't good enough. And I knew that the life that I had couldn't be the life Jesus talked about in John 10, 10, where he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come to give you a good life, life to the full. And so I went on a journey, and for me, that, that journey started with 12 steps. Maybe you should consider it. That was so good. So good. Thank you, bro. Yeah. Maybe you've been through some storms like Steve has. Maybe you're not experiencing that abundant life that Jesus offers. The band is actually going to come and lead us in a song. But I want to encourage you. Life is too hard to manage without God at the center. Life is too hard to manage without community in your life. Tomorrow... Steve's going to share more of his story at Restore, Monday night, 645. And maybe that is the group for you. Steve also leads a men's group. There are other groups for college students, 20s and 30s, 35 plus. We have an entrepreneurs group meeting right after this. We have a random acts of kindness group. Maybe it's serving on Sunday. There are so many ways that you can find your people. One of the things at Krista's service yesterday that kept coming up was her, her daughter would say she found her people. It was us. She found a place. And she decided to use her gifts and talents of hugging, apparently with her family tickling. She didn't do that here. Um, but she helped others find their place. We want to invite you to find your place with us. Don't just wander trying to get it figured out. Let God help you. Let community be there for you. So consider what God's inviting you to do next as you listen to this.